Lord God, strength and power and wisdom have been put into the hands of our ascended King. And we pray that he would rule through his word among us this morning, that we may be a people to glorify his name with our lips and in our lives. Amen. Do please sit. And please find um, Luke chapter 11 and uh, page 1043. One day, I was walking uh, a tightrope across the Grand Canyon, as you do. One day, I was bungee jumping off a bridge, as you do. One day, I went swimming with sharks, as you do. One day, Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute, as you do. That is the feel of the way our story starts. There's an as-you-do quality to it. We learn absolutely nothing, do we, about what Jesus is really up to in chapter 11 and verse 14. Everything that happens in the passage that we had read is a story of what is said by Jesus or by those around him. And all that happens in verse 14 is just one of these extraordinary little declarations Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute, with a real, as you do, feel to it. The whole of our story is really people talking. Many years ago, a um, a man called Stephen Covey wrote about, quote, the seven uh, habits of highly effective people. Close quotes. It became all the, the rage in management circles, and I'm guessing that some of you have probably had to read it, or you've had a sort of third-hand version of it delivered to you. And what I want you to do is to think of today, the material in today, as the six habits, I tried to get seven and I couldn't, um, the six habits of highly ineffective people. This material in front of us today stands as a warning to God's kingdom people, what to expect as the kingdom is announced. The six habits of highly ineffective people. And for those people, it doesn't really matter, in fact, what Jesus is doing in verse 14. That's why Luke's recording is so minimal. In the end, it doesn't matter very much to the people around. The point is simply this, something good just happened. And all of our six groups, characters, are reacting in one way or another. So let's meet them. Don't try to remember them too much. Uh, You'll probably just try to uh, kind of take notes. And uh, if you take notes on this sort of thing, it will all just be a bit confusing. All you need to remember is to go back to this passage and remember that it's one of those passages that stands as a warning and it will tell you a great deal about who we meet. First of all, those people who seeing good call it amazing. Verse 14. Well, we've had a couple of references to them already today, but uh, uh, when I had a break from uh, the cathedral and uh, ordination uh, games uh, there, sorry, ordination events there, (laughs) um, 
uh, I, went, uh, I went up to the uh, Jenny Lind uh, for the uh, community games, and they were astonishing. They were amazing. Would you please just stand up if you were part of the groups organizing that? You may all be in bed because you're still exhausted, but please stand up. Oh, come on, there are more than that, surely. Surely good. You're standing up very slowly. Simon, Jennifer, I didn't say sit down. Margaret, stand up. I want to say thank you to you very loudly and very publicly. Thank you. And someone came up to me. Um, I was wearing uh, my dog collar. And someone came up to me and said, this has been really good. And then they went home. All right? But as the flyer that was given out so cleverly said, there's a community behind the games. And that's far more amazing. You can tell from how verse 15 starts, but some, but, that's enough, that being amazed doesn't get you very far. Action is to be done because it is good and right for it to be done. It's good to feed the hungry, as we try to do with the food bank. It's good to give to those who have nothing, as we do through Besom. Actually, it's good to teach the mute to speak, because what else is English Plus on a Tuesday and a Thursday but taking those who cannot communicate in our culture and teaching them English? It's good to do those things. But we must have the right expectations. In and of itself, action, the most it will achieve is amazement. Something else from the Holy Spirit needs adding if it is to point to Jesus. Something that Jesus is himself going to commend to us along the course of our story today. That's the first group. Those who see in good call it amazing. Secondly, those who see in good call it demonic. By Beelzebub, some of them say, the prince of demons, he is casting out demons. Rubbish, says Jesus in verses 18 to 19. What interest could there possibly be in the forces of evil dividing against themselves? A kingdom can't survive like that. Not even a household can survive like that. But the fact that it's rubbish doesn't stop people choosing to see negative even in the positive. I'm pretty sure that uh, family life, as Christians have upheld it, has sometimes been smug. But there is a full-scale assault being launched against it, because we presume to say that one style of life is better than another. And that runs against the idea that whatever I choose, because I have chosen it, it must be good for me. We are sowing the wind of family life, and we will reap the whirlwind of social breakdown. But nothing must be allowed to be better than my choice. So the claim that there is a family life that is good must itself be treated as a wicked claim. There are those who, seeing good, call it evil. Then thirdly, there are those who, seeing good, cannot give it its name without demanding more. Verse 16. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. And the answer to, from Jesus to this one doesn't actually come in the passage we had. It just 
just outside it in verse 29. A wicked generation asking for a miraculous sign. But none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. And Jonah is perhaps the starkest example of the prophet who preached and saw a difference in the way people behaved. In this case, far away, and it really was far away, it's not like Norwich, um, far away in the imperial capital of Nineveh. And that's the only sign that this generation will get. Not the further signs from heaven that they're looking for. Year after year, we run something like uh, Christianity Explored or Alpha or Glad You Asked, uh, some kind of exploration of the basics of Christian faith. And year after year, one of the central problems among our guests is this. I see all the evidence in this book, but I haven't had any evidence for me. And we can look back, probably, and perhaps many of us will remember the day when we thought, we, we f- seemed to believe that just one more miracle would do it for me. But as Jesus says elsewhere, lots of people don't believe even when one rises from the dead. The demand for a further sign isn't actually an indication that the signs given are already are inadequate. It's an indication of our spirit that we generally refuse to see evidence of any kind in the signs that are available. And when we make that demand, it's not that we are making a judgment about the evidence. It's that the evidence is actually making a judgment about us and our spirit. There are those, then, who, seeing good, can't give it its name without demanding more. Fourthly, those who, seeing good, do not want to acknowledge its power. Verse uh, 20. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come. Well, consider for a moment what verse 20 would say if you and I had written it, uh, having watched what Jesus did. We'd probably say something like, but if he drives out demons by the finger of God, then God is obviously stronger. Stronger than Satan. It's obvious, isn't it? But it doesn't say that. It says two other things than that. First, and obviously equivalent to a point we might make about strength, the kingdom of God has come. We're in a series on the kingdom of God, and over the years, I've read some pretty fluffy descriptions of the kingdom of God, all rainbows and flowers and niceness. But the kingdom of God is, as some have rightly said, looking at the words of Jesus uh, and finding it to be more of a doing word than a place word. It is where God is kinging it. And that means power and conflict and contest. And there's a kind of glee, isn't there, about Jesus here? A kind of ta-da. Then the kingdom of God is come, isn't it? It's come. It's come. So there. When we emphasize that Jesus dies on the cross once for all, we are telling the truth. 
But the once-for-allness can sometimes leave us feeling passive. Whereas Scripture is clear that in the once-for-allness of the cross and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus is turning us into the people into whose hands he commits the weapons and warfare that come from his Holy Spirit for an unremitting contest and conflict that will be ours until we die. There is a world out there to win, and there's a world in my heart to win over each day. It's the same for you. It never ceases, that conflict. We need one another. We need all the weapons that are given to us in the once-for-allness of the cross. In fellowship, as we engage in battle. So let's not speak so much of the once-for-allness that we neglect the daily conflict that is the kingdom of God. We are called to battle. And I wonder, I do just wonder, what would happen if our proclamation was of battle more than of a kind of serene peace? Secondly, within this, uh, this, this verse, he doesn't just say the kingdom of God has come. He says the kingdom of God has come upon you. And there's the, just a little opening that he gives of the personal. Good stuff has happened, and it happened in front of you. The kingdom of God has come, and it has come upon you. So what will you do about it? It's perhaps the answer that I should have given to that lady. But of course, I didn't dare to give when she said yesterday, this was really good. And I should have said, not yes, and you're welcome to church, which meets at 10 o'clock in the morning and at 6.30 in the evening. But yes, it was. But then that's the kingdom of God for you, isn't it? Fifthly, amongst our habits of highly ineffective people, are those who, seeing good, simply will not decide. Verse 23. We scarcely need any illustration of this, do we? Jesus wants us here to appreciate that it's not enough to call him interesting or intriguing. Soon you have to decide which side you're going to be on. Perhaps we can say this that you have to choose to recognize that this is finally about taking sides. It's a huge authority claim, really. Jesus is denying to us any cool, neutral vantage point, and he's putting us in the game. It's Wimbledon fortnight. I remember growing up uh, watching tennis, about probably like many Brits, it was about the only time I watched tennis, and we saw players and umpires, but then there was this mysterious figure in a suit who occasionally appeared called the referee. And I always thought, well, this is very odd, because in any game I've ever encountered, a referee and an umpire are the same thing. But it turns out not. The referee is a mysterious figure who wanders around the courts of Wimbledon, trying to decide whether the weather is suitable for, for play to carry on. Now, we know that Jesus is one of the players in the game. And we'd like to be the umpire in our lofty chair on high, 
deciding whether Jesus is right or wrong, in or out, is terribly interesting. But in fact, Jesus turns out to be the heavenly authority figure, the referee, who can pull an umpire from his or her seat, pull an empire for that matter too, and take away all our claims to neutrality. Just to kind of leave the analogy for a moment, Jesus insists that we enter the game on one side of the net or the other. There there is no third side. There is no third position. Not deciding is not an option. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. And then sixthly, finally, but this is probably more people than any other, Verse 28. The woman in the crowd has called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Quite a lot of very, very good cursing insults are based upon your mother. So it's not entirely surprising that one of the greatest compliments and blessings should be based upon your mother. And in the Middle East, they have a vocabulary of insult that is massive and magnificent compared to our feeble efforts. And this woman offers one of the highest compliments possible. Blessed is the one who gave you birth and nursed you. Never mind that, says Jesus. Blessed are those who hear and do it. And he might have added, just like my mother did. And that's where we hear the answer finally to the issue of those who are amazed by action. In fact, they are to hear the word of God and obey it. Those who, seeing good, do not follow with obedience. And we might say, just in that one, those who, hearing of good, do not follow with obedience. Action needs words, and words need action. Well, there are our six habits of highly ineffective people. Why would we spend time on such negative material? Uh, Well, apart from the fact that Jesus did. He is not all nice and cuddly at all. He's often sharp and spiky. Well, it's true that this text, as Luke records it, is only any use if the reader... Like Luke's uh, original reader, he says at the beginning of his gospel, he was writing to Theophilus to ground his faith. If the reader is in what we might call a missional set of mind. If we want, if you came to church this morning just looking with a horizon to get you through your day job tomorrow, then this is pretty useless stuff. If we want something practical just to get us through our week, this may not be it. It will all just seem a little ho-hum, a little disconnected. Well, of course it will, because it's a message from the front line of the kingdom, and if that's not where we are, then it is bound to seem irrelevant. If we've chosen to be somewhere else, it's bound to seem dull and negative. At best, it's information. But if around the edges of our daily work each day, we are always on the lookout for the conversations that we might have, the actions that others might see, If we fundamentally see ourselves, every single one of us who's in the building this morning, as secret agents in the kingdom of God, then this text is of enormous benefit. 
because it analyzes for us the different reactions that we will get. My dear brother or sister, if you were at the games yesterday and you had the conversations, then this is telling you what you need to know. If your heart is for the food bank or for Besom, it's telling you what you need to know. Do not expect very much from the majority. Most people will simply turn away, not even be interested. But you have to look forward actually two chapters in Luke's Gospel till you come to this bit. You can go forward and you will see that some did indeed follow. And the results were beautiful and life-giving and more positive than we might ever imagine. We are only here because of those very few who did say yes. And it's worth it for them. This story is an invitation to persevere in the work of the kingdom, precisely because the reactions to the good are so often twisted or indifferent or merely feeble. It didn't stop Jesus from doing the good thing, whatever that was. And actually, it turns out not to matter very much. It must not discourage us from kingdom work. It must encourage us to obey what we hear, because that story of the, uh, the spirit who leaves and leaves a, a clean space because cast out, if it's not filled by an obedience, an active obedience to the will of God, then what comes, is, what enters again is worse than it started with. To all those who were working hard yesterday in the fierce and appalling summer heat that we have, thank you and well done. But that's only a very few of our church. Find your own path, and we shall pray in a minute. Don't pretend it's kingdom work when you're just being nice. Don't say it's not for me because most of the people who stood up or went to the games were a bit younger than I am. Find your own path. Take up the challenge and work and hard and for the rest of your life. And do not expect much from many, but from a few there will be a great deal, and with them we rejoice. Let's pray. Like I have to confess that I didn't really get it right with that woman who said to me, this has been really good. Take a moment just to reflect in silence and think of the opportunities you missed last week. Think of the week that lies before you. For very many of us, opportunities come randomly and out of the blue. But what kingdom work do you think you may be called to in the week that lies ahead?
Lord God, we tremble as we see just how many people, how many kinds of people there are whose spirits remain closed to the kingdom of God. Just listening to a cry of a child, we want to pray for our children as they're in their groups right now. Open their hearts and minds and spirits, we pray. But open ours too. Let us not be among the ineffective. And as we take up kingdom work in action and in word and in obedience to the word, we ask that we may see amongst the unremitting warfare those glimpses of glory as men and women and boys and girls turn to the living God. And we pray that even as we put forth all our strength, you would grant the strength of your spirit that we may be upheld, that we may uphold those around us. And we may be able to look forward to the reward that one day lies ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.